stuck my straw in your milkshake and I drank your milkshake. You can get chewed up and spit out if you don't understand these things. Go drink your milkshake. Are you prepared to do what it takes to get what you want? There's money in this room. There's millions of dollars in this room networking. It's about consistent, intentional, tactical action. I'm on a mission to make something change in my environment. It's going to give me what I want, and I'm obsessed about it. It's the crucible! Oh, this is what we do. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. It's been over a year since I actually interviewed someone on here. I know you guys probably got tired of hearing me just, you know, talking <laughs> to the camera. And so my friend Logan over here, he called me out. He, he, he found me on Facebook Messenger, text messages, smoke signals, telegrams, everywhere he could. He's like, hey, I got stories to tell, bro. I got to come on the vault. <laughs> so I'm excited to, to finally be able to, to interview someone again. So with that being said, Logan, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're right. I sent you a text message during a run. And then the next day I was running by the same location. And it reminded me, I haven't heard from RJ. Send you another one. So then I thought, all right, I'm making a post on Facebook and tagging. I'm messaging. I'm going to yeah. get you're busy like I am. So it yeah. was kind of fun. You know, part of it was I got the text message from you and and I was like, I haven't interviewed someone in a while. I got to get this like set up again and figure out how to do it. I'm so used to just going <laughs> live with nothing but the camera. Uh, but I'm excited <laughs> to be able to do this. So today's episode is going to be, as you can tell by the title, title, uh, title issues. Okay. We're going to go over Logan's specialty. I, I don't know anyone in this industry that has the skill sets that Logan has. I, I see his posts. Normally, if you go follow Logan on Facebook, his posts are the size of a small novel, okay? Because he goes <laughs> into such detail about how he overcomes some of the, the craziest, nastiest, messiest title issues. And so we're going to go through those. So that being said, we wanted to do this live so you guys could ask questions, okay? But we do have quite a few stories we want to go through. We want to keep it to about an hour. So I just want to dive right into it. None of the BS about who Logan is or where he's from. He's in San Antonio, Texas. Okay, there you go. Now you know where he's from. We're just going to dive into it. He's going to show you why he's an expert in this. So the first one is 65 owners of one property. Tell me about this. It was in a major metro area. It had been owned by the same family for a very long time, and there were more owners than I knew how to count. But I got a call from a local wholesaler, and he said, I have it under contract. Title commitment came back, and they found the vesting deed that was from the 40s or 50s. That's when the person who the last transaction happened. Okay. And there were seven memos recorded against this property. They've been trying to sell it forever, and it's different family members. Right. So... The wholesaler is bringing it to you. You're going to buy it from the wholesaler or are you going to JV and help them sell it? It just depends. But in this case, I looked at it and said, without doing a whole lot of work, it's in a, it's probably worth 800 grand as it sits. And they're about okay. 40 or 50 grand in taxes. So the whole time I'm asking myself, is the juice worth the squeeze? I always right. ask that. And I dig deep, 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 deep. But I have to keep asking myself, is the juice still worth the squeeze? Because sometimes that answer can change and I'll abandon and sunk cost and walk. In this case, I thought, let me get a couple of phone calls to some folks and I'm going to get my genealogist on this deal and he'll start 
smoking out who we think the real owners are, man, we got to 30 owners in the first day. And I agree. Oh, let me go back. I agreed to JV with them. I told him, I'm going to give you 20, 25% of what I make on this deal. I'm going to spend all the money. And since you've already talked to like 15 or 20 of these owners, then I need you to stay in the deal to help with the communication. Okay. So on that 25%, because I, I think this is important, right? We're, when we're talking about JVing a deal, are you saying your expenses that you're going to incur come out of your profit or are you deducting that and then you're, you're splitting it 75, 25? Yeah, I'm going to spend the money to get this deal, to get a total ownership of it. And then above my basis, when we go to sell it, we're going to subtract my expenses and the profit, we're going to split 75, 25. Right. And at that point in time, you're not asking the wholesaler really to do a whole lot more. I mean, you're taking it from there. You're running with it. You're going to get this title clear, right? I'm going to do 80% of the work. What they're going to do is they're going to get an email that says, call this person and say these three lines. This property has messy, messy title problems. You probably know it. We want to buy your interest in the property. If you're interested, let's have a call. Gotcha. You get that call and I get on the call with you. All right. So eventually you find out there's 65 owners on this, right? Yeah. So how do you get all 65 on the same page where they agree that they're going to sign off on this? Man, sometimes they don't. And that's one of those deals where when you go in, the first couple shares of the property so let me back up. I'm not buying this with title insurance because title won't insure undivided interest. They'll buy it. They'll sell it all or none. They won't do right. pieces. And if you try to get everybody lined up to go sign a title, someone's going to change their mind. Something's going to happen. Someone could die between now and then. You don't do that. So you buy them one at a time. So we started out, we identified about 55 people, 50, 60 people at this point. And we said, all right, I think this is the bulk of them. And I pulled a hundred grand out of the bank cash. I did it over two days because they wouldn't give me that much at once. And I split it up with two guys in my office, 50 G's in each guy's glove box. And I had the attorney come to our office that was working on it at the time. And he cranked out 50 deeds. And wow. then I gave each person a spreadsheet and they started driving to people's houses with cash and deeds. But that was after me and this wholesaler for several days had worked on the phone, calling folks, they'd agreed and finally, I realized there's so many people involved. Someone's going to get mad. Someone's going to change your mind. Y'all need to go. Gotcha. So, so we can that, that. Yeah. So real quick, on, on that circumstance, when you're calling them and you're saying, you know, hey, Cousin Joe, who didn't even probably know he was a part of this property, yeah. what offer are you making to them? Are you just saying, hey, how much does it cost for you just to, to get some cash to walk away from this? You know, I basically start out at $500. And I know that sounds insane, but when you have 65 owners, we don't even have probates done. We don't have affidavit of airships done. Right. I have the rough genealogy work I've got done, and I'm honest with them. I tell them, if you owned all this property, this thing would be worth hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million. I don't know. And that was true. Right. But you only own 65% of that. So if this thing is worth hundreds of thousands, and you, I'm sorry, you own one six, 150th at least. So, or maybe it could be less. We don't know. But I'm willing to give you 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 for your share and you're done. If you want to do it, great. If you don't, you go hire your own lawyer and resolve your side on your own. But we're all going to become partners one day in this. So let's just figure it out together. Right. I'm so, not front with them, man. I'm telling right. them, too. I'm buying this pennies on the dollar. Because if three people hold out in the end, we have to go to court to get this thing to sell. And it's going to cost 20, 30, 40, 50 grand in legal fees. So I'm buying them. I mean, I'm not offering them a lot. But the neat part is they know there have been problems for 50 years with this property. They all are aware at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I, I ain't telling them something that they don't know. Agreed. So towards the end of this deal, 
how did it work out? Did you get everybody to sign off? Did you have to go to court? How did this situation end up resolving itself? You know, I got lucky in this. This was one of the very rare cases. This is the most amount of people in one deal I've ever done. It, it happened the quickest, and we did not have to go to court. Once folks, I've been in the case where stuff starts to go shaky, and we negotiate for months. In this case, when people started agreeing, I sent those two dudes out in the car, and I was literally calling saying, all right, Johnny agreed. Go to his house. He'd look down the list, look at Johnny's address, and go to that house. When he was done, we'd been done another call. Jenny's done. So we that, did tell these folks we're willing to pay for an hour of lawyer time. You can find a lawyer and get advice. Right. That's in our contract. And I'm going to tell you that. And I advise you to do that. But if you want to get this done fast, I literally got someone in town that'll be there in an hour. So, so you got everybody folks, to, you got everybody to sign off on it. How much did you end up making on the deal? So the first few people were selling for 500, a thousand bucks a pop. Over, this ended up taking about two weeks to get everybody assigned. So these guys are just driving all day for two weeks. Right. Towards the end, some of the folks were saying, well, I heard Jenny sold for 500 and that's a ripoff. And I said, fine, don't sell to me. We'll sell together and you're going to get 10 times that money or whatever. But it's going to be in a long amount of time. You're going to have to pay your share of the taxes. You might have to hire a lawyer. And personally, I don't really give a shit. You and 1%, that ain't changing my deal. Right. And when I'm real upfront and honest with them, they get it. So there are a few people at the end I had to pay anywhere between five and 7,000 for their shares. You know, the last couple of them, one lady, the very last lady I gave 30 grand to, I didn't want to, she, she got paid multiples of what her share was worth above. Right. But it was the last person, 30 grand was cheaper than the lawsuit. So I paid her. I was all in for 250 and I sold it uh, for 1.2. Nice. So I made about a million bucks on it. Wow. And, and what, what was the reaction of this wholesaler that brought you this deal? I mean, you're talking about this. Uh, it sounds probably like someone that was not experienced. I mean, they're making close to a quarter million dollars, right? I mean, how did that feel for that wholesaler? Man, that was actually, it was awesome. But what it did is he and I had built a relationship over the couple months. I was enamored with what he was doing. This guy was killing it wholesaling on his own. Dude made almost a million dollars by himself in his cubicle working um, his job and then wholesaling through batch. It was bananas right. in an 18 month period. He made almost a million bucks. Yeah. I was blown away with what this guy could do. He was blown away with what I could do. Needless to say, that deal was two years ago and he's one of my business partners today. I love it, man. <laughs> that's, that's great stuff right there. And I love to hear these kind of stories because I, we have similar stories in the regards to a, a single JV deal leads to a very long-term business relationship because you do business the right way, right? And, and what's awesome about this is, is that most wholesalers would have looked at that and said 25%, but he saw the value of what you were bringing to the table and accepted that. Now he has a long-term business. He's your business partner. I mean, dude, dude, that's, he, how, that's how our wholesaling company started. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's it's, me and I some crazy deals, you know, Big warehouses, apartment buildings, we got all kinds of cool shit going now. He is an awesome person, and I felt like he thought the same about me. And, dude, that deal was just the beginning. It was awesome. Awesome stuff. All right, let's move on to the second example here. Someone getting sued for filing a memorandum, and then you took over his claim and litigated the case. Yeah. So it was a friend of mine's brother that did a deal. The deal fell apart. He filed a memo as the buyer. And then the seller wanted to sell, didn't come to closing and wanted to sell to somebody else several months later. Right. And he gets a call and he tells the guy, give me 20 grand or I won't release the memo. The guy says, I'll just sue you. 
So he calls my buddy and my buddy's like, I know someone that does this stuff. Let me call Logan. Um, and I, so I talked to the guy and I'll go through the fact pattern. His fact pattern was decent, but I didn't think this was a case that go to trial. I thought it would be a case that everyone would fight each other for a little while and then settle out, which happened 95% of the time. So I told the guy, look, I'm not going to give you any money for this, but I'll take on the claim and I'll defend you. And whatever money comes out of this, I get it as profit. So I basically said, you don't spend any money and I'm going to guarantee that you're not getting any damage. If you get any damages against you and there's a judgment against you, I'll pay it. I, I'm willing to take this risk. So I answered the suit. Um, it was in uh, Houston out there. We fought back and forth for a while, um, ending, ending up settling the deal. I wanted the property. I wanted to buy it. So I was going to countersue him with a specific performance lawsuit. Right. And then his attorney got, we ended up in a month long, just back and forth negotiation um, and the agreement was we agreed that he was going to sell the house and I was going to take 30,000 from the proceeds in lieu of me buying the house. Cause he thought he was gonna make a hundred grand, which he probably did. Right. So we, I ended up resolving part of the reason I wanted the money is because I now had legal fees to pay for. And I did help him resolve some title issues along the way. Honestly, man, I didn't make any money. I broke even on that deal, but I kept my buddy's friend from getting his ass handed to him. Right. And I had a shot at making a hundred grand. I didn't, I broke even. So what were the sellers like stance on that? Why did the seller think that they had a, a leg to stand on from the aspect they signed a contract and the reason why it didn't close is because they just didn't show up to close it. I mean, that literally is specific performance. I mean, why, right. what, what leg did they have to stand on? I don't think he really did have a great one, but in his case, even if someone doesn't have a good fact pattern and the evidence doesn't really support them, they can still spend money and fight for a while. And some folks know that. So they know, right. hey, they're basically going to try to big dick you with some extra money and they don't realize that you can defend. So that's where that fight came in. I gotcha. He, he realized that someone else offered him a lot more money. He had no clue the value of the property. He didn't really care about the property. Somebody offered him more and he thought, I'll just go get that more money. So let me ask you who's wrong. Let me ask you a question on this because this brings up the the fact about filing a, a memorandum. Okay. So there's yeah. some wholesalers out there that they've been taught every contract that they get under every property that they get under contract, they should go file a memorandum. I personally have probably filed less than five memorandums in over a thousand transactions done. So I'm not a huge fan of following memorandums. What yeah. is your stance on that and why? Man, there's a lot there. Those are those instruments can be abused. And when you know you're hanging people's property out and it's easy for you to say, give me 10 grand or I'll release it. And you know, they're going to make more money. Folks start to get a little bit drunk with that power. But honestly, the way I see it is if I've, well, let me go back to another point. These are the wholesaling and investment market has gotten really competitive and if you sign a contract, you're supposed to close in a couple of weeks or a month. A lot can happen during that time. So I can see how of an investor or wholesaler has been burned by some crappy sellers after doing hundreds of transactions and they want to protect themselves. So I get that point. But I also realize that it doesn't happen super often. So I don't file the memos anymore. I went through this phase where I filed them on every deal for about six months. I was having to go release them on deals that didn't close. And I get calls later and people would argue me. It was a fucking hassle. So I quit. Right. Here's the way I do it. I don't contract the deal unless it's a smoking good deal. Yep. And if for some reason I'm talking about in my investment business, not the wholesale business, if something happens and it doesn't close, 
man, the dude can keep his property. But if it was a smoking deal and he doesn't come to closing and I want it, I'm going to sue him for performance. And I've won a ton of those cases and I send them case numbers and I send them a bunch of my old judgments I've had rendered and tell them, Hey, this is how this is going to shake out. I don't fuck around. So yeah, you need to uphold your end of the bargain or I'm going to come get that property because this is our agreement. I so, mean, for us, it, it's we, the way I feel about it is there's no shortage of deals for us. And, and I'm right there with you. I don't want to have to go through the hassle of filing the paperwork. If the deal doesn't close for whatever reason, releasing it, right. having those pain in the ass conversations. And then the other thing about it is, is if you're that worried about it, do you really think that's a person that you want to be doing business with? I mean, if you're that oh. concerned that the seller is going to go behind your back and sell it to the next wholesaler that, that locks, you know, offers them $10,000 more or $5,000 more and vice versa with your cash buyers. If you're that worried that they're going to go behind your back, why are you trying to wholesale to them and do business with them? I mean, so you're speaking from the experience level of someone who's been doing this a while and has built up, you know, some going concern. But right. I remember when I was doing it, I was literally two years in. And at that point, I'm trying to figure out how to put my, uh, put food on the table and yep. plan for my next month's bills. So for me, every deal counted. Today, man, deals fall apart all the time. Like, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the third example here. Uh, this one is quite possibly my favorite one that you wrote down just because I don't know how you end up owning this small of a percent of a property, but um, you found one man in Peru who uh-huh. owned 0.067% of a property. So let's, <laughs> let's go through this. Man, God, I go back to these like tons in my life where I'm thinking about this. Is, it brings back all these memories. You know, this, it was in a kind of like a resort type town in Texas. And it's a neat cottage type house built in the 20s or 30s, I think. It needed a complete remodel, but it was super valuable. And a gal was living in it and she went to go sell it. She lived there for 30 years and it was her mom's house and, you know, that whole deal. She never did probates or anything. And she went to go sell it on the market and a local realtor got her a buyer for a good price. And they went to title and title says, whoa, this is in your great grandma's name. And she said, okay, well, put it in my name. <laughs> it didn't work. It wasn't quite that easy. So right. she didn't sell the house. It didn't work out. Um, then the next time somebody tried to buy it off market from her and they hired an attorney and they're kind of trying to work through it a little bit and that failed too. Finally, the original realtor called me because I'd gotten to meet him somewhere and he told me about it. So we go through the genealogy work. My genealogist comes up with it and he says, you know, you got about six, 15, 16 owners, something like that. And a couple of them owned large shares because their side of the family had very few children, basically. So one person would inherit a third or a you know a fifth. But on this other side of the family, one person had like 10 kids. And it fanned out. A lot of those 10 kids died, but the share they passed down was small. So when one person had six kids, dude, this last five owners own like less than 1% each. Right. So the neat thing is all these people were close and they all had a pretty darn good relationship with this gal. They all agreed to give their share, gift eat it to her so she could do what she wanted and reap the rewards of, you know, the deal. Right. One dude, he was like an ex special forces guy. And we met his crazy ass brother who was like, maybe had psych problems. I don't know. In an RV down in Corpus Christi. 
Right. And he's like, my brother abandoned us. He's the worst guy in the world. He's a piece of trash. He's gone. Like, uh-oh. We ended up finding this dude's wife. She owns a little shop down in Peru. And we start messaging her. She ignores us, but we know it's her. So we find a private investigator there in the city. Give him the data. He goes knocking on the guy's door. Got an answer. After several visits, we send him a letter. So this PI tapes it on the door. We get this email from the guy. He's very sophisticated, incredibly bright. I don't think he was the bad guy. I think his brothers were the idiots. He left because it was a great place probably to retire and live well. He married a local down there. But he was sharp. He basically, after we went through all the genealogy stuff, he understood he's reading the intestacy chart and the statutes. Um, And he understood he owned that. He flat out told me, you can't sell this without me. And my share might only be worth X amount, but I want more. And he was the last share. And I, again, I bought the first shares cheap. Right. This dude held me up. He got three times what his value is worth. But you know what? To be honest with you, it, this this goes back to the conversation of leverage inside of a negotiation, right? And I think we're going to see a consistent theme here. The people later on, they understand that position of leverage <clears throat> that they have over you. And you right. could either be stubborn and say, Hey, no, the going rate has been $500 or $1,000, or you can be intelligent about it and pay them 3X or 10X or whatever it is. I mean, so now early on, I was bullhead. I sued a lot of people that way. So forget it. Let's just go to court. I'd rather give the money to the judge or to the attorneys and the filing fees and give it to you. And I would do that and we'd end up settling, but I got to a point where I started doing what you're saying. It ain't worth all this hassle. I'll triple pay him. Right. But you're also talking about now, I mean, you and I were chatting before we got on the live and, and your business is at such a higher level now than it was a couple of years ago, right? You're, right. you're doing almost double or triple the business that you're doing now. Yeah. And, and some of that's just maturity as a business owner and just understanding like, hey, where is my time best spent? And, and is it more important just to get the deal pushed across the finish line? You know, it is. So now, he had some leverage over me, but I ultimately had a little leverage with him. And I basically he wanted he started getting a little outraged with this price. And I said, look, it's going to cost me about 15000 to get a default judgment against you in this case. You're not going to come and defend this case. and I'm going to get civil service on you down there because you know that I know where you're at now. Right. I'm going to get you served. I'm going to get a default judgment on you probably here. And I'll still force the sale of this. And you own a tiny sliver after you repay the taxes and you're part of the closing cost. You're not getting money. And it's going to cost me about $18,000 to do that here. So that's the most dollars I'm willing to give you, which was worth three times what his share was. So he got me on the three times, but I got him on the max because these are my legal fees. I'll give it to you or the attorneys. You pick. Yeah. He'd rather have the 18000 There you go. Let me ask you a question before we move on to the next example. How deep do you want to buy these deals when they have that kind of issue with the title work and that many owners? I mean, is there a, a percent, a dollar amount? I mean, cause you have to be buying extremely deep to make the juice worth the squeeze in these circumstances. Right. So how deep are you wanting to buy these types of deals? Well, to tell you the truth, I started at zero. I mean, I basically tell them you got a huge mess on your hands. Maybe you want to solve this. Maybe you don't. You can give it to me for $0 today and you're done. Right. Maybe if you hold out, I'll give you a little bit of money. If you want to take a ride with me to the very end, you get a much bigger share. You got to help me as a family member resolve all this and deal with your family members. And if you want a bigger share, you can help pay the legal fees. If you got it together and you're retired and got nothing to do, let's take a ride together. 
So right. he goes from zero dollars to JV partner all the way. And I ain't too greedy. I'll make a deal. There you go. And typically, on on just a not these crazy examples that we're talking about here, but let's just talk about a normal deal with some some title issues that you resolve. How yeah. long does it take you to get that resolved and where you actually see a payday? You know, I get a lot of this stuff done in three, four months, probably. There are some of them I'm, I know to solve when they come to me. And I love those because it is a big problem for most people that I can literally fix it overnight. Then, or they're just not saying or doing the right things with a title company. I can literally get title insured with a phone call. So some yeah. of those are great, but you know, some of the tough ones can take several years to do. The longest one I've had is taken about two and a half years. And how much value is your title company helping you in this? Or is it really you and your attorneys and you brought up your genealogist a lot. Is it really you yeah. are kind of pushing it and then the title company is just along for the ride or are they helping you as well? Title company is not going to get this deep. And I don't ask them to, you know, most title companies don't want to do these kind of deals because they have 400 phone calls over nine months and they're still only making those tiny little fees. Right. So I work really hard to get the work done. When I bring it to them, it's pretty much done. They love me because I I make the deal so clean and easy for them. But they don't really, that's not their role. And some folks rely on them for affidavits and light work. Right. But I don't want to overstay my welcome. I'm thankful people will deal with these hassle deals. So I try to make it easy as I can on them. Well, and the other thing is, is Logan, I've been saying this since 2017 when I started the podcast. Um our jobs as real estate investors is not to buy and sell houses. It's to solve people's problems. You just took that to a whole nother level. I mean, <laughs> you like the guy that, that people like me are like, holy shit, I, I don't know how to solve this. I mean, how did you come up with this being kind of your niche that you do? I mean, because you are the guy that, I mean, I think you're becoming very well known across the country as the 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 title issue resolver. I mean, how did this come about? You know, I, early on, it was real easy. I took the, I'd go to the foreclosure auction and buy three houses for a hundred grand back in 2015, or I'd go knock on people's doors and buy land for five or 10,000 bucks a parcel. It was easy. As it got harder, I had to stop going to the foreclosure auctions and go to pre-foreclosure. After that, I started having to use Facebook to network. Um, I had to start looking for tax delinquent properties that weren't close to foreclosure because they had less it just kind of evolved. And I remember one day in 2017, I think I looked in December, I looked at all the deals I did that year with my partner and we kind of did a post-mortem report, which were our best deals, which were our worst, where did we get them all from? And we found these categories and the couple best deals I had that I identified had zero competition were the ones that had major problems. And the next year, 2018, I started pumping on Facebook about all the problems that I was doing and my phone started ringing like crazy. So I didn't have to go find them anymore. They would be referred to me. And 2018, I had a crummy year revenue-wise because I was getting these all in play, getting them started, deploying all this money. Nothing was selling. And towards the end of the year, I started turning them over. I was like, damn, this is my thing. Right. Well, there you go. I mean, I, I love to see that kind of evolution as an entrepreneur because, you know, for, for us, the way that we overcame that – lull and figuring out what we were going to do was to, to spread out to becoming virtual and, and nationwide, right? Your, yeah, your path huge. was, hey, I'm going to be the guy that goes out and gets these deals that no one else can get to the closing table. And like you said, there's no competition. 
it's the same thing. I mean, I was literally talking to Patrick, uh, our, our general manager here this morning, and we're talking about a campaign that we're running in a specific city in the United States that we probably spent less than $500 on marketing. And it's probably going to be a hundred thousand dollar profit campaign. Wow. And, but that's again, because we have now found this niche that we're, that we're in that no one else is, cares to go, you know, I mean, we go tell people where we do deals and they're like, that's not sexy. And it's like, it is at the bottom line. You know? Yeah. You ain't looking at those P and L's. Yeah. Right. That's a really, that's a good point to look at. I don't care what business you're in. Maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're a real estate guy, maybe you're a construction guy. I don't know, but there's a certain kind of person that's bright. That's very hardworking. And it's really interested and spend a lot of time focusing. And those are the people that you hear about that do really special things. And that's what you're doing right here. I don't, it may be if you were in the, I don't care what industry you'd be in. I believe you would be successful and you would do really well because you have. Agreed. And, and same thing with you. I mean, that's, it, it's funny you say that because that's real, real estate, titanium investments is not our first business. It's just the one that clicked. And we found the solutions and it's the one that we were meant to do. But could we go do something else? Yeah, same thing with you. I mean, you are, you're going to find your way and say, okay, here's how I'm going to be successful doing what I'm doing. All right. So this next one is, uh, obviously, this sounds like there's going to be a funny story involved at the courthouse. Uh, you sued for specific performance. And then the judge ends up issuing an arrest warrant for contempt of court. So let's talk about that. <laughs> so that was kind of a surprise. I'd done two performance cases in the past. And the moment the other counterparty got served, I was the buyer in both cases. They were the seller. They changed their mind for whatever reason. The moment they got served, they came back to us and said, all right, you're right. We'll do the deal. We didn't know you were that serious. I did not want to sell that bad anyway. I was just mad, whatever. Right. So I had to spend two, three, four grand to get to that point. They settled. In this case, this one had to go all the way go all the way and specific performance is interesting the judge is ordering a person to perform but there's not really damages in these cases the right. judge orders a person to perform but what if they don't perform like if you're fighting over a piece of real estate not specific performance let's just say it's a contract dispute and the judge says you get it he issues an order for title or if it's a quiet title suit the winner of this case gets an order for title so you're done an order for performance says a person has to perform but what if they don't perform? Now right. they're in direct violation of the judge's order. If the judge wants to hold them in contempt of court, you know what the judge's recourse is for that? It's an arrest warrant, a bench warrant. <laughs> so did that actually happen? Yeah. So what the judge ordered was a motion to show. So we filed a motion to show cause. And the motion to show cause was telling the, the plaintiff of the defendant, you need to come to court and show the cause, show the reason why you didn't come to closing. And if you have a good one, the judge might give you a pass and right. might tell us to get lost. If you have a bad one, the judge is going to order you to perform. So we didn't actually get to the performance order. We did the show cause. And what happens when that the guy didn't come to the hearing, the judge orders a show cause motion and the constable takes that notice out to the man's house and hands it to him and says, there's a motion to show cause. If you don't come to court in five days, you're going to be in contempt of court and the issue and the warrant will be issued on the fifth day. That guy didn't come to court. Warrant was issued. And when the constable goes out to go to the guy's house, 
he comes out and he's like, oh, my God, I'm going to court. The consul should have arrested him then. He didn't. Right. I don't know why, but the man came to that court the next day, and we all had an emergency hearing. We ran in, and he didn't have a good excuse. Um, but the judge said, you need to go sell to this guy, and if you don't, we're going to issue the warrant. You're going to sit in this jail until you sign the closing docs. In my head, I'm like, oh, the escrow officer has to go into the go into jail and close. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what we did is we did an agreed order there. Um, and the man said, look, I can't go tomorrow. And, and we knew title wasn't going to have updated docs within a day. So I said, look, judge, can we have five days to close? He'll agree to go on the fifth day. I know my title can com- company can get this done in five days. And we did that. He came and closed. Boom. We were we uh, non-suited it. It was over. And he, and he gave you a raving Google review after. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's I, crazy. This dude was going to lose his house to foreclosure. He was 60 grand behind on taxes. Yep. I mean, I was literally the payoff on this whole deal. He was going to walk with another 50 grand and get his taxes paid. The house was unlivable anyway. He didn't live in there. I mean, this is the craziest thing. I'm thinking, I got to bring yourself, bring your ass to court to get you to let me do what you need done. Yeah. But that's how it works. We, we have a house that we own in Hawaii. Okay. It took us over a thousand days to get it closed. We were over a thousand days. Okay. I need to go get the actual number. Okay. (laughs) But the situation was she was getting foreclosed by first lien position. She was getting foreclosed by second lien position. And then she had $250,000 in fines by both the city and the county, okay? And then wow. they were foreclosing on her, okay? And then we also have back taxes and stuff like this, okay? Yeah. So the problem was the house wasn't worth what was owed to everyone. So it was a short sell situation. But in this circumstance, first lien, second lien, city, county, back taxes, all of these different parties that were involved over the course of a decade – could not come to an agreement on how they would split up the funds if the house were to sell, okay? So it took us coming along, and this was listed on the MLS, okay? This is, we we contracted this back in 2015. And I flew out to Hawaii, I saw it, and I said, this is a smoking hot deal. They were asking 875 or something, right? We contracted it. The contract is, is, is accepted. And then it's, well... Yeah, we accept the 875, but the payoffs are a lot more. You got to pay this. You got to pay this 250,000. You got to pay this other 300,000 over here. And it's like, okay, well then the price is not 875. You're talking about the price is 1.6 million, okay? Oh my gosh. Like we we got to be realistic about what's going on here, right? Yeah. It took us so long and right when we got everything resolved and we're at the closing table. Guess who the person was that wanted to blow the deal up? The seller. The seller. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what are you talking about? You have been sitting on this for over a decade, and it's in shambles. You, you know owe- why? She fixed all those problems, and she was thinking, the problems might be fixed. Can I stay a little while? Right, right. Well, that's the other crazy thing. She wasn't even in Hawaii anymore. She now lived in San Diego, California. Wow. This wasn't her house. It's been sitting vacant. Okay. The reason why she had all these fines is because she ba- is 8,000 square feet. She basically tried to turn it into a multifamily. And so she started getting fined 
for illegal. Hey, you didn't permit this. You can't. This isn't zone multifamily. You can't do what you did. Wow. Right. And so it was just sitting there. But she wanted to blow the deal up because she said, well, I'm not getting any money. The house is appreciated over this course of time. And literally all of us had to contact her and basically explain to her, ma'am, we are getting you hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines and, and money that you owe to people released. Like everyone is, is taking a bloodbath on this, except for you. You're not bringing any money to the table here. You're just released of everything. It's, it's mind boggling sometimes how people can get in their minds, how they're owed something. And that's, that's literally why there is specific performance. That's why it exists because that of these sense, situations yeah. right here. So I just wanted to share. That's my that's, only crazy, dirty uh, title story that I have. So I just had to share it. <laughs> you have staying power, my friend. Not many people can do that. But that's neat. You're able to talk folks back to where they need to be. You're able yeah. to stick with it. I mean, I don't know anything about what your deal looked like specifically in terms of dollars, but Hawaii's a valuable place. And I imagine in three years in this market, you got a lot of upside. To, to give you an example, we uh, we bought it for eight seventy five. Um, there's a there's a house right now selling down the road that's about a quarter of the size that's selling for five million. Oh my gosh! So your, your land is worth more than what you paid. Right. So there's there's value in that deal. All right. Let's uh let's move on to this next one. So on this one it says you uh, stripped a lien placed on a property by an attorney for his services rendered on a criminal defense case. Oh yeah. You know, that every time I tell it to you, you're like, oh, yeah, that one. I know it brings me back. <laughs> you know, I had a wholesaler call. No, this is a realtor called me about this deal. Um, well, I'm trying to think back through all the details. Yeah, I actually looked at the house. So the, there are two houses next to each other. It was a house and a vacant lot is what it was. Um, and I'd wanted to buy the house a long time ago. It's kind of an area that I'd worked in in the past, but. I wasn't able to, it was in foreclosure. And I ended up seeing this guy bought it. Good for him. It turns out he had contracted the house and the lot, but didn't close on the lot because of this lien. And it was a really, this attorney, man, he should have gotten in some trouble, but he didn't. So what he did is the attorney was going to take a, he defended this homeowner's daughter in a criminal case. So the attorney, she said, I don't have the money, but I have this vacant lot. So the attorney took a lien against the vacant lot for his legal services. You see that a lot. I don't think that's a bad practice at all. He got collateral and he would foreclose on that lot if this person didn't pay. Right. So after that, I didn't have him interviewed the attorney or the seller yet. I was just looking at land records and there was a deed where the attorney conveyed the property to himself. And I thought, I didn't see a foreclosure action. So, and the lady, I'm sorry, the lady conveyed it. She signed off. I thought that's strange, but maybe she had the money to pay. And then the attorney filed some other document where he was appointing the county as the trustee. And I thought maybe this has to do with a bail bond or something. I wasn't sure. But then, then the next kicker is the attorney had gotten himself in trouble with his business and hadn't paid a bunch of fees and fines. So he had Texas Workforce Commission liens and IRS liens against him, which now are attached to this property. Right. So I'm like, crap. So anyway, I, I talked to everybody involved. It turns out the seller did pay him his legal fees. But he was trying to find a way to strengthen his position during when he thought he wasn't going to get paid. So he had her sign a deed to him, which he shouldn't have done, especially knowing that he had all these judgments and liens. Right. So what we ended up doing, I called the guy several times, went to his office, 
you know, I was getting the cold shoulder. So I sent this attorney a demand letter and, and I had the lady sell the property to me. I went ahead and took it subject to all these problems. She sold it to me for cheap. I gave her her cash. She went on about her way. I sent him a demand letter that said, basically, you're encumbering my title now. So I'm going to sue you if you don't help me fix this. And I didn't even know how to fix it at the time. Right. That finally got his attention. So he called me. What we came up with is we set the deed aside and we had an instrument signed that he signed it. The lady that sold the property to me signed it. And they were both setting that deed aside. Basically, it's like a cancellation deed kind of. And I needed that old deed to be canceled because when the property went into his name, it picked up those judgments and liens. So I needed that to be canceled so it would never pick up those judgments and liens. Gotcha. So he ended up agreeing to work with me so I wouldn't see the guy. He knew he screwed up. Um, when, he, when he got her to deed the property over to him, did he explain what she was doing? Like, Did she know that she was deeding that, that vacant land over to him? I don't know. She seemed real aloof. She didn't seem like the person that was really just incredibly sophisticated, you know, just regular old gal. And I, when folks are involved with an attorney, they just think this attorney knows what they're doing. They're going to take care of me. And I don't think folks read it all. Right. A lot of attorneys don't go through and explain it all. or A lot of people don't. So I spend when I do those deals, I spend the time to explain or not those deals. But when I do a deal, I explain everything. I make sure we summarize at least every single paragraph and what it really means. Because yep. I do not ever want someone to say about me what they said about that attorney. Well, I think that's just it's human nature, though, when you're you're hiring someone with that that title, attorney, and then they're supposed to be an advocate for you and representing you. And if they come to you and say, "Hey, I need you to sign this." You know, I, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a very tricky situation. There's implied uh, trust there. Right, exactly. All right, so the, the next one here is a, a title company paying a claim for taxes they missed and then came after you. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a window into how title companies work. A lot of folks don't realize this. I have a title insurance policy. They're going to pay for everything. You know, I would encourage you, most people have not read their entire closing package. Right. I would tell every real estate operator that does a fair amount of deals, take a closing package and a title commitment and an owner's title policy. Those are the three sets of docs you're going to get from them. Read those things front to back. You don't really have many rights in there at right. all. And if the title company makes a mistake, 50, 70% of the time, They'll acknowledge their mistake, but they still have documents that say whoever was truly at fault or liable will still pay those expenses. Their title companies are owned and run by lawyers. So, so don't think you're going to get one over them. So in this case, there were tax like property taxes that they missed, right? So in this case, and yeah, I see this fairly often these days. When you do a lot of transactions, you see stuff. There was a county line, or it was actually a school district line, and this person paid uh, county taxes and road and bridge and all those different department right, taxes right. and city taxes to one person, and the school district taxes actually went to a different district. Yep. So they were in two different counties' tax assessor lists, but the bulk of the taxes were all on, um, you know, the a certain a different one. Yeah. So that's where the the title company looked. They missed those school taxes. But the school tax hadn't been paid for a very, very, very long time. So the title company shored up the one tax account, 
I sold the property, got title insurance from my buyer. The buyer fixed the property, flipped it, and then sold it for four or five hundred grand. So the value has continued to increase. And then the end buyer, you know, Johnny and Jenny, you know, homemaker with their two point five kids and their lab, move into this house and they get a tax bill from the school district for like seventeen thousand dollars. Yep, and they're freaking out. Oh yeah. So they call the guy that sold it to them. He calls his title company and his title company says that they would insure or no, his lawyer said to make a claim to the title company. He called me to notify me. So my closing documents, I've been through this before. So my closing documents are not a lot different than the, or my contract documents are not a lot different than the title company. I put a lot of the liability on the buyer. So it says if in the event taxes were missed or rollback or reassessment happens, the purchaser owns that liability from this point going forward. And they acknowledge and agree to that. So if there's a mistake in the title company screwed up, they want to come to me, I'm passing it to the buyer. Investors are buying my shit anyway, and they're getting a fair deal. So right. you got to know there's some risk. So he comes to me, the, that the flipper and says, I'm going to make a title claim. And I said, be careful. Cause if you do that, they're going to come to me. My contract states it's coming to you. So this is a circle jerk, but be right. careful. Cause you don't want to be the one holding it when the music stops. Right. So he didn't listen to me and he, did make the claim and I got the demand letter from the title company that says you signed an affidavit that whatever. So in that case, I had to decide, am I going to go sue this guy at 17 grand? I made 150 grand on the deal on my side. Am I going to go sue this guy for 17,000? No. Do I care about my relationship with this title company who does a lot for me? Yes. So ultimately I made a business decision to not come after him, even though I could have smoked his ass. Right. And he'd be paying my legal fees. It wasn't worth my time. So I came called the title company and said, I'll tell you what, I'll split the baby with you. I can't remember if I paid a third or a half. You guys screwed up. I'll split the baby with you and I'll pay half and let's move on down the road. There you go. So it's funny you bring that up about the, the property taxes and how the, the seller mm -hmm. ended up in that situation because that happened to me. Really? I bought, I bought a property in Fort Worth. Okay, but it's North Fort Worth, uh, right off of 35, which if you're driving from Fort Worth to Denton, that's the highway. You go right up 35. And so it's right on the, the border of where Fort Worth becomes another city. There's, there's a lot along the way, Hazlitt, Rome, Justin, all the way up to Denton, right? So I get this property. I bought it sub two, okay? So I bought it subject to the existing mortgage, took that over, eventually refinanced it, was going to just flip it, couldn't sell it. Uh, yeah. Then we we ended up selling it, seller finance and wrapping the mortgage. Okay. Ah. So in this circumstance, during this time frame, there was a lot of moving pieces when it came to the property taxes, right? We originally bought it sub two, which was paying the property taxes and the insurance that they had within their original mortgage. Then we refinanced it. But when I refinanced it, that mortgage company didn't pay property taxes and they didn't pay the insurance. That's paid out. They didn't escrow that, right? Yeah. So I get this property and January comes. And so I have to pay property taxes, right? So I've got my statement from the this Tarrant County that's telling me, you know, this is what you owe, 10 grand, whatever it is, right? Five grand. I, I don't know. Oh, crap. <laughs> or, or whatever it is. It's freaking, this it was a, a $250,000 house. So it's probably close to six grand. 
So I pay that. Right. And I don't I don't think twice about it. Yeah, you know, there there was my property tax statement, and I had never run into this situation that you just explained. I paid it and I moved on. I sold it, I wrapped it, and everything. The new buyer that bought it from me, seller finance, he gets a, a letter from me saying, you know, the property is in a lawsuit for unpaid property taxes. Oh, and and he's like, dude, what are, what are you doing to me? And you're like, like, I paid. Right. I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, uh, the, I, at this point, it was like been over a year. So I'm like, well, the property taxes are on you. Like, you're paying the property taxes. <laughs> so he sends it to me. And it's like, he's like, no, these are for property taxes you didn't pay. And now I'm kind of having a panic attack going, well, what the, did I pay those? I mean, I thought I did. <laughs> you know? and so he sends it to me. And this is for Denton school taxes so tarrant county uh, had the, the the regular taxes and then the the school district it set in was a part of denton and so i never received anything i didn't know that i needed to look that up i didn't even take time to look at the the actual statement that right, tarrant that. Me, that's like oh it's for the junior college it's for the hospital for this and that i didn't realize oh hey there's a school district missing here Right, because <laughs> it's not in that school district. It's in a part of Denton County's school district, and so yeah, yeah, I owed those taxes, and and it was crazy to me because I never run into that, and that can happen to people, you know. So if you're in a situation where you own a property and you're not escrowing your property taxes, you might just want to verify that all of your property taxes are going to one county and not two, because that can happen to you. Same thing that happened to his seller. I was that seller, yeah. and, and I I could have gotten my guy in trouble there that I ended up selling that property to. So, all right the uh, the last thing that I want to go over before I open it up to um, to questions here. By the way, if you have any questions for Logan, we're, we got about another ten minutes, but I want to tell him probably the last and probably the most important story that he's got. And so that that is the first deal that you ever lost money. You actually had to. Uh, stroke a check for for fifty thousand dollars on it, and and I saw your post yesterday. So let's talk about that and why you feel like that was a valuable experience for you. Man, I did a lot of things, hardships in business. You know, I, I got to be careful about the way I talk sometimes because things sound so cliche. Because there are no new lessons anymore. Business has been around as long as humans have been around, and commerce has been here. Um, but there are new lessons to us. Each generation goes through these lessons. So. You know, for me, it was an incredibly valuable experience that it hurt so bad and cost so much, but it was so impactful at the time. It literally changed the way I do business. Um, but, you know, I was a relatively newbie when it came to flipping and I'd had some great successes flipping 150 to $200,000 houses. And I didn't understand what it looked like to step up to a $500,000 range. There's just so many things that are different. And I was just trying to get to the next level, make a little more money. And um, folks had started to trust me and I was using some private money at the time. Yep. And I knew I could get what I wanted. So I go do this deal. It's supposed to sell for 550,000, I think. And I overpaid for the house. I way undershot the repair estimate. Um, thank goodness I had this private, looking back as the private lender should have been fucking thankful that I was the borrower. I had money in my account and when I went, I blew through the remodel budget. It was like 80 grand, 90 grand for the remodel. I went to 140 or something like that. I spent 
over what the private lender gave me, then I started spending. So I never asked him for a dime more. I just spent through my money. Um, it, it took me a year to get it done. I thought it was going to take six months, blah, 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 paying interest the whole time. Went to market, and the market didn't accept it at the 550. And one of the big mistakes I made is I, I was didn't want to lower the price quick enough. I just thought it took longer to sell. So it took me three or four months to get it down to where it was actually going to sell. It sold a 470. And man, yeah, dude, I had to come to the table with like 54 grand. And that was at a time where, you know, that was a lot to me. I mean, and plus I'd already burned a bunch of cash doing this repair. So it, it hurt. Yeah. But what I learned there is I had some good successes on doing the, uh, the fix and flip stuff. But when I jumped up to that level, I just had to look differently. And it was really ironic. That same month, the guy I was doing deals with said, hey, you want to learn? He, he watched what I was doing in this deal. I'd come visit. And he goes, hey, you want to learn how to make real money? And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I'm just right. like destroyed and beat at this time. He takes me to foreclosure auction. We buy three houses for a hundred grand. One of them was about 40 grand what we paid. We put a for sale sign by owner in the front yard for 65,000, sold it off market for cash in like 10 days. We got paid in 10 days. Right. I made a 50% return in 10 days. And this other thing I've been fooling with for a year and lost my ass. And I thought, oh my gosh, yep. let's get more. At that point, I really scaled down remodels. I did very few of them in the future. I just started looking for what I call deep value investments. Look for something for less than it's worth. And then I'll get a good rent return. I can sell or finance it later on. I figured that out. Or I can just go put it on the market. Someone will pay me more than I paid. And it's a paperwork deal. Yep. So in, in that circumstance where you were over a year, right? You're losing the whole year, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, you know you're on the path. To there is no in, in positive end result for you, right? Yeah. How did you mentally handle that situation? Because I've been in very similar situations, and, and for anyone that's been listening to the podcast, they know I, I was open and honest while I was going through it. I mean, it, it was not fun, and I'm still living with some of the repercussions of that because I, I went into cookie monster mode and, and tried to buy the whole United States, you know, and I got in over my head. So mentally how did you handle that because you know you're going to be losing money and then even when you're on the market and it's not selling right that was probably a glorious day for you when you finish the project and you're like okay i'm putting it on the market and this bad boy's going to sell for 550 and then you just get another kick in the balls where yeah. it doesn't sell right how how did you handle that man it was hard i mean i'm a i'm an optimist like just to the death though and i had some tough stuff in my early 20s, you know, going through life, trying to figure my way. And I made it through all of those bad things in life. So I looked at this and thought, man, I might lose all my money. And in the worst case scenario, I'll go back to the oil field. I'm always looking at like, is the end of the world something that I can live with? And if I failed in real estate, I was going to go back to the oil field to make 100 to 200 grand a year, literally within 30 days. So I thought, I'm just going to power through this. And if I run out of money, fuck it. I'll just right. see how it goes. And I, I mean, me and my wife was my girlfriend at the time. We would go and do open houses, even though we had a realtor. We'd do open houses Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, we were just hammering, calling every realtor that ever sold in the last 12 months a house in there and then personally invited them over. We went guerrilla marketing style. We just did everything we could. And we forgot about the money. We forgot about all the other deals. We forgot about everything because I just made 20 grand on that foreclosure flip. And I put that in the bank and said, 
my cost of living is low right now. I can live two or three or four months on this. Let's just get this thing sold. And it was tough, man. I would, some days I'd go to bed early. It's like, man, fuck this day. I'm going to bed early. I don't want right. to finish this day. Absolutely. I, I remember my wife now tells me, she said, there were some days you would sleep late and you would go to bed early and that ain't you. And I knew that was all you weighing on. Yeah. So I want to ask you about that. And guys, again, we've got a couple more minutes. If you have any specific questions for Logan, just drop it in the comments. But my question to you is you do work with your wife. Um, yeah. and, and from an outside looking in, you know, that what you share on social media seems like you guys have a, a, a very strong relationship outside of work, but also inside of work. How did that, did that come about naturally? Or is that something that you talked about? How did you determine how you were going to have roles in the business? And then also, when do you kind of cut off work and become husband and wife again? You know, we're husband and wife from every hour of the day. We're business co-owners from every hour of the day. We're parents from every hour of the day. We're friends from every hour of the day. So we don't have a work-life balance. We have this big bucket and we have job or work, business, family, right. friends, all the shit together. And we're doing it all day long, all together. I'm leaving to go pick my kid up from school, bringing him back to the office. He's hanging out here. My wife comes over for a meeting. Okay, we're going to meet back at the house at six for dinner. But we never really talked about it. The basis here is we were great matches. I care and love about her and the people around me so much. She's the exact same. She works so hard to make people happy. She cares and loves about everybody around her. Neither of us are too selfish, although admittedly I'm a little more selfish than her. And Sometimes we have a little bit of headbutting, but man, it was the right match, dude. Like literally in a short amount of time, I was like, this lady is the bomb. And if I can <laughs> keep her from leaving me, I'm going to do everything I can for the rest of my life to do that. I love it, man. Uh, well, I have to tell you, you know, like you said, you and I, here's a, here's a funny story insight. Cause y'all know, I love to just tell the truth about all these situations. <laughs> I actually reached out to, to Logan and his wife probably in 2018. I, I think if we go back in the, into the yeah. archives of our Facebook messenger and, and, and Logan called me and he was like, all right, tell me about your podcast. What's the, the purpose behind it. And, and he kind of interviewed me. And, and he was like, all right, man, I'll let you know when I'm ready to be on your podcast. I said, all right, fair enough. <laughs> well, he finally let me know in 2022. So it, it took like four years to finally get him to, to admit that he wanted to do it. But I told him this morning, I said, uh, you know, you got a lot better stories to tell now than you probably did back in 2018. So I, I appreciate you coming on here, man. Um, I, you know, I, I want you to know. I didn't do that because I thought I was too special. I didn't think I was good enough to be on a lot of these places. Yeah. And I wanted to find out. I didn't want to get myself in over my head. So I was like, I'll let you all know when I'm ready. I did that to a lot of people. And I was too scared, dude. That's the truth. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I feel that. I mean, it's funny. Back when I started the podcast, I didn't do video. Do you know why I didn't do video? You're scared. Yeah. I was literally <laughs> afraid of how my face would look on a camera. Oh, wow. Lights, this and that. What if I mess up? You know, I was so afraid of all these different things. Now it's like these, the camera and all this. I go live for eight, 10 hours a day, and it's just, it's a part of who I am now. And I love doing it. Um, and, and I love seeing how you're so open about sharing your journey. Um, you're, if you don't follow Logan on Facebook, please go do that. Because you can just go back to the archives. And if you see something that's really long, just read all of the caption there. I'm telling you, it, it's worth – you should write a book just based off of your Facebook post. I'm telling you. Um, 
People write these fucking ebooks about nothing that are like 12 and a half pages long, okay? And they say they're an Amazon bestseller. So if that's an Amazon bestseller, I mean, your Facebook should actually be a New York Times bestseller, okay? I got something, so, right? Yeah, so uh, um, I appreciate that, man. And, and I've enjoyed watching yours and your wife's journey. Um, thank you. And, and just the, the, the stuff that you overcome. So that being said, I want to open this up to everybody. If they have a, a deal with crazy title issues, are you open to working with people with those types of deals? Absolutely. Folks call us all the time. We give a lot of advice. It's not legal advice, but we talk about our experience that includes legal efforts sometimes. We give advice all the time. Our phone's ringing off the hook. Our inbox at info at ARPUSA.com. Folks shoot us questions, problems. And if it's a deal we should be involved in, we'll tell them, hey, maybe we should get in this with you. Sometimes we just can tell you, man, this one time this happened to us, dude, do this, you're done. Yeah. So, man, we're really open about helping people. And if it makes sense for us, we do it. If not, we'll do what we can. There you go. All right, Logan, well, I appreciate you, bud. Thank you for coming on the show telling us some of your crazy stories and uh, thanks for uh, calling me into action. You brought me out of retirement. I'm interviewing people yes. again. There you go. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, down at the bottom, you see I'm uh, I'm shamelessly plugging the Titanium Crucible. That's our two-day boot camp here at our office here in Fort Worth, Texas. Check it out, titaniumcrucible.com. Logan, thank you so much. We're going to end with this snazzy video where Cassie tells you why you should come to the Titanium Crucible. See you guys. Thanks, Logan. Thanks, RJ. This is why we've structured this this way. This is why we're going to harp on you, and this is why we're going to hold you accountable. We'll hold your feet to the fire. We're going to say, hey, you need to work on this, because that's what you need to work on to go out there and be the difference. I applied the systems and the processes, and I generated a lot of revenue in my business. I'm actually back here for the second time at the Titanium Crucible. These people pour so much into you. Nothing like it whatsoever. The amount that they pour into you is priceless. Iron truly sharpens iron. Can't underestimate that stuff. This literally right here, what we're doing here at the Crucible, was literally just a manifestation of words. We said we're gonna do it. Operate in the destiny that God gave you. The wealth will come. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. This thing is so powerful, it will change your life. It's such a blessing and I recommend it to anyone and everyone looking to change their life and get on track. Get off your ass and come do it, man. Take a chance, put your faith in titanium and get out here, man. Much love.